0: Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. As the US House of Representatives moves ahead this week with its impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump, we ask just how much trouble might the US president be in? And what about the fallout in Ukraine, arising from the publication of that phone call in July between Mr Trump and the then newly elected president, Vladimir Zelensky? Did Ukraine's inexperienced new president go too far in his attempts to please his US counterpart? What does the Ukrainian electorate think? Those are some of the questions I'll be putting to Daniel McLaughlin later. But first, it's to the US. and Suzanne Lynch, our Washington correspondent, joins me now from there. Suzanne, there have been no end of controversy surrounding the presidency of Donald Trump. And up to now, he has seemed to revel in all of them. Is there a sense that this one is different and that a tipping point may have been reached?
1: Yes, I mean, this controversy really erupted really from nowhere last week. Uh, People had just kind of put their Russian inquiry, the Mueller investigation, to the back of their minds. That ended after 21 months. And really, Democrats didn't move forward with anything substantial after that inquiry. Uh, But in the last few weeks, this new controversy concerning Ukraine uh, has really um, gained momentum. And ultimately, the difference here now is that Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, has decided to open an impeachment inquiry. She had been resistant until this point. Um, She was talking down the possibility of impeachment. She obviously could see I can still see the political dangers of doing that, that essentially it may backfire on Democrats. But evidently, Nancy Pelosi felt that on this occasion, the president had crossed a line, a Rubicon had been crossed. Uh, and this concerned a phone call uh, President Trump had back in July with the president of Ukraine. Uh, and reports about this phone call surfaced about 10 days ago in the media here. The reports that this phone call that somebody in the administration, in the intelligence, area had raised concerns, a whistleblower, about the contents of a specific call. Uh, There were reports that this specific call concerned a phone call between Donald Trump and a foreign leader. And then uh, as this story began to grow legs, the White House took the decision last week to release a transcript, not a full transcript, but a kind of rough transcript of the call. And this really uh, instigated the decision by the House Democrats to begin an impeachment inquiry against the president.
0: And just to recap... Uh, for us, what in particular was it about that phone call that has caused trouble for Trump?
1: So that phone call, uh, as I say, uh, dates back to July 25th. And in it, Donald Trump uh, is speaking to the newly elected Ukrainian president. and He seems to be saying, well, he directly says uh, that he talks about Joe Biden, the former vice president, uh, and now his rival for uh, the presidential nomination next year, potentially. And he talks about um, the concern that he has over Joe Biden and his role in pressurizing, as he says, a Ukrainian prosecutor to resign while his own son, Hunter Biden was a member of a board of a, of a huge Ukrainian gas company at the time. And, uh, he, Donald Trump has argued since the publication of this memo that there's no quid pro quo. This is what he says all the time, saying, well, look, I did raise this, but I have corruption concerns about Joe Biden and I have every right to do so and I wasn't uh, offering anything in, in in exchange. And while there's nothing particular, specifically, about Donald Trump offering something in, in, in exchange, he does say, for example, one of the, the language is quite incriminating. He says, do us a favour, though, at one point, um, and he talks about the United States being a big supporter of the Ukraine, uh, of Ukraine financially. Um, so I think uh, in in it, then the Ukrainian president also talks about how he's willing to help, essentially. Uh, and secondly, Donald Trump then offers uh, to um, so he's soliciting basically help from his Attorney General William Barr and Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York, who is Donald Trump's personal lawyer. And they talk about how he's already spoken with some Ukrainian officials. So I think the, the the transcript of the call itself is extremely incriminating in that it's suge- suggesting that Donald Trump is using his p- position as President of the United States to essentially uh, secure incriminating information about a political rival, rival from a foreign leader.
0: And that's the key point, isn't it, that Joe Biden, as a is probably right now, arguably Trump's main rival for the US presidency for for next year's election. And essentially, by inviting Ukraine to um, look into Biden's activities in Ukraine, they're essentially inviting inviting Ukraine to interfere in the US election. That's the argument, at least on the democratic side, isn't it?
1: Exactly. And significantly, it now seems that um, there were moves by Donald Trump, together with Rudy Giuliani, to really up contact with Ukrainian officials back in April, just as Joe Biden was announcing his candidacy. So that's another suspicion that this is why he has turned to this Ukrainian issue. And and there's a sense that they're kind of fixated on this. Rudy Giuliani, he's been constantly on the media here and he is really hammering home this issue about Joe Biden. So there is a sense that they're really been focused on this. And really, you know, there's lots of comparisons here with previous impeachments. But this is essentially in a different way what brought down Nixon, you know, looking for political dirt about his rivals, the Democrats on that a point. I mean, in that situation, it was breaking into a hotel room. It's it's not an exact analogy. But here we have Donald Trump looking for uh, political dirt on his rivals and doing it, some would say, in a kind of illegal or um, unethical way by inviting a foreign government to help him do so.
0: And and just just to set the record straight to that, I mean, Trump says that Biden in, intervened to have a prosecutor fired because the prosecutor was investigating this mm. company that Hunter Biden, his son, was involved in. But I think it's established, really, that it wasn't just Joe Biden, really. The the, the entire almost uh, Western world, if you like, wanted this prosecutor <laughs> fired because he wasn't investigating, he wasn't doing his job. And in actual fact, he wasn't at that time investigating exactly. this company.
1: Exactly. There's a couple of points on that. A, you're right. Joe Biden, the American administration and... Institutions like the IMF, the G7, were all pressurizing this prosecutor, Victor Shokin, who was appointed in 2015, to step down. He was a Poroshenko loyalist at the time, and he was, in fact, criticized for not investing in corruption. So while Donald Trump and his allies are saying that Joe Biden effectively tried to remove a prosecutor who was investigating corruption claims against a company on which, uh, on his board, his son sat on, in fact the problem was that Shokan was actually not doing enough investigating of companies like this that that investigation was essentially dormant for in the in the years running up uh, to biden's involvement in this and it does it does Bear mentioning as well that Biden was heavily involved in the US's uh, relationships with Ukraine. This was all around a very difficult period in U- for Ukraine and um, that time, late 2014, when it failed to sign that agreement with the EU and essentially its government turned to Russia. So yeah, the issue really is that not that Shokin was investigating the company, it's that he wasn't investigating it enough and he wasn't doing his job as prosecutors, as Joe Biden and other international uh, observers saw it at the time.
0: Now, the Democratic Party has responded to our Democrats in the House of Representatives by by instigating an impeachment. Investigation. Can you can you explain to them what's meant by an impeachment investigation? And like, will this inevitably lead to the impeachment of the president? What are the steps involved in no, all
1: of this? No, it won't. Is a short answer to that. But impeachment, um, a provision for impeachment, is included in the American Constitution, Article Two of the U.S. Constitution. And the thinking behind it was in the late 18th century, when America was being set up as a new country, that there had to be some way of keeping executive power, of keeping the president in check, to limit his. Uh, his or her powers uh, over over the country, essentially. So this this was introduced uh, in the Constitution and it sets out a way of removing a president from office if they're found to be in breach of their oath and guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors, as the famous phrase goes. Now, the problem with that, of course, is how do you define high crimes and misdemeanors? And, that, and, and during that time, I've been reading recently about it, but at that time when the Constitution was being drawn up, the Founding Fathers could see the problems with impeachment, that this could be used as a political tool, that it could be used to maybe persuade or discourage presidents from doing something if they thought that they would be impeached, you know, in a negative way. So they were quite aware of this. So they put some brakes on the impeachment process. The idea that you have to have a two-third majority in the Senate, for example, to impeach a president. So to go through how this would work uh, in, this, in, in, in this instance, as with other times, um, the House, the two, there are two houses in Congress. The House of Representatives uh, would draw up Article of Impeachment, and they would have a vote on whether to impeach the President. The vote would first be in the Judiciary Committee, and then the whole House would have to vote on it. And a majority, a majority of one, would have to vote to move forward to impeach the President. And then it would move to the Senate, that hundred-member member chamber, and then in the Senate there would be a trial an impeachment trial, and this would be presided over by the Chief Justice, and this, in this case, Chief Justice John Roberts, and then it would need a, 60, a two-third majority, 67 members of the Senate to convict the president of impeachment and remove the president. So in the history of impeachment, two presidents have been impeached, Andrew Johnson in the 1860s and Clinton back in the 90s, and neither of those were convicted in the end. They were never removed from office. And then we also have the case of Nixon, who resigned Uh, Because he knew the game was up, essentially, the Republicans stopped supporting him, uh, supporting him, so he resigned before the impeachment inquiry began. Um, So, A, there has been no history of anyone being convicted for impeachment. And in this case, the numbers are very strong for Donald Trump because Republicans uh, have a uh, 53-47 majority in the Senate. And they would need, you know, that number would have to go to 67. Republicans would have to move against their president. And at this stage, it doesn't look like Republicans would. He has got the support of Republicans in the Senate. And then on the House side with the impeachment, we're still in the early days. The impeachment itself hasn't begun. Nancy Pelosi has opened an inquiry. There were already different inquiries into Donald Trump's behaviour on the back of the Mueller report. Six different committees in the House were looking into different issues around Donald Trump. She has instructed them now to continue their work, but to do it under the umbrella of impeachment. Um, And they are being told to essentially fast track this. And then when they are finished their work, perhaps in a few months, then the House of Representatives, which is controlled by Democrats and Pelosi, will decide whether there's enough uh, evidence there to move forward with impeachment. And if there is, they'll draw up articles of impeachment and a vote will be held and then the process starts. So we're still away away from a vote to begin impeachment. But she has very much set and trained the process. And as I say, there are indications that she's trying to get these six committees to move as quickly as possible and to really narrow their focus on this Ukraine issue.
0: And I mean, as you say there, at the moment, the numbers are very much in Trump's favour, certainly in the Senate, where the Republicans have a majority. Presumably, though, that, that dynamic could change, could it, as, as various committees hear more and more evidence? Mm.
1: Yeah, and one thing just to note as well when we were speaking earlier about the phone call, the the, the, the phone call at the centre of this is one part, but the, the second part is, is the essentially what people are calling the cover-up because then um, the whistleblower who lodged this complaint against the phone call that he, he or she witnessed second-hand or was told about alleges that White House officials sought to cover up this phone call essentially, that this was put uh, in a server that's usually used for um, highly sensitive national security matters. Uh, So the accusation is that there are some White House officials who sought to kind of hide and conceal this. So that's the second strand of this. So again, parallels with Nixon here, it's the cover-up that's the problem, not the actual substance of the original, in this case, phone call. so so that's going to be one of, 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 of the focuses here. And that could be worrying for Republicans. So, so uh, to answer your question there, yes, Republicans are so far with Donald Trump. But that could change. Again, the Nixon impeachment, this went on for a couple of years, all the different Watergate inquiries. And eventually, and, and, and essentially at the beginning of that, the public was opposed to impeachment. Republicans were opposed to impeachment. But that changed as more information came out. Now, the difference here is that with Nixon, it was the smoking gun. It was the tapes that really kind of sealed his fate. In a sense, with this Trump issue, the smoking gun, if you like, the phone call is already out there. In fact, it has been published by the White House, this so-called incriminating phone call. Um, So, in a sense, we've already reached that point. And as I say, maybe what may uh, provide more fodder for Democrats is what happened, what lengths people in the White House went to cover this up. And in particular, there are now questions about Attorney General William Barr um, his role in this, A, he is mentioned in the phone call between uh, Donald Trump and Zelensky uh, offering William Barr to help in, in digging up information about Joe Biden. And second of all, now, um, there are suggestions that the Department of Justice kind of stopped the whistleblower complaint being passed to Congress the way it's supposed to be under the statute that exists at the moment. And thirdly, there are reports today that Attorney General William Barr have been, has been traveling to Italy and talking to other foreign governments. It's a slightly separate issue, but about um, his investigation, Department of Justice's investigation into the Mueller report that he and Donald Trump believe that the Mueller report itself was a witch hunt and they're trying to enlist other foreign governments to help them on that. So, you know, there could be problems down the road here. So to answer your questions, yes, there could be further information that comes out during these hearings and that could change public opinion and change Republicans' opinion. So far, we've only had a handful of Republicans coming out and criticising Donald Trump. Mitt Romney, for example, he came back into the Senate this year and he has been a a quiet critic of Donald Trump. He did not go so far as to say he would support impeachment, but he did say that the phone call was troubling. Uh, So there are a few figures in the Senate on the Republican side to watch as this goes on. And perhaps, you know, more people could turn against Donald Trump depending on what comes out during this process.
0: And, and and there was a further development overnight, Suzanne, so uh, confirmation that uh, Trump asked the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, for help in investigating the origins of the Mueller inquiry. Um, mm. How significant is that?
1: Yeah, so this is, again, this it's parallel in, in investigation that has been going on since the end of the Mueller report, uh, where William Barr and the Department of Justice said, hang on, we're going to investigate the origins of the Mueller report. Why was the Mueller report or the Mueller investigation set up at all? Was this kind of a witch hunt, to a coin a phrase, against Donald Trump? Was the did the intelligence services and the FBI, did they? Because uh, from the Trump perspective, the, witch, the, the Mueller report was was uh, to use Trump's favourite word a nothing burger. Nothing emerged from that. So now uh, the Trump administration is trying to look in, into why the Mueller report and investigation was set up in the first place, and they're essentially suggesting that some people in the intelligence community had an anti-Trump bias. Uh, and in particular, they're focusing on the fact that members of Trump's campaign team were under surveillance. Carter Page, who was an advisor, he was under surveillance by the FBI. Republicans think there's something dodgy with that. They think that he should not was a private citizen, he shouldn't have been um, being put under surveillance by the FBI. And this has been a constant refrain on the right, on Fox News, that the real cover-up, the real story actually, is why the FBI and James Comey, etc., and all these people on the in the intelligence service who don't like Trump set up the Mueller investigation. So in that context, a new investigation has been ongoing quietly in the background. And now it turns out that Donald Trump has phoned the Australians because the Australian ambassador um, was involved with this at the beginning of the Mueller investigation because they passed on information to U.S. intelligence services that about what they saw was attempts by Russia to intervene in the election. So uh, Donald Trump is essentially calling up allies like Australia to say, listen, whatever information you have on that, can you help us out and give it to our you our, our investigators now? Because we're worried about this whole Mueller investigation, that it was misplaced at the beginning. And Australia have come out this morning uh, or overnight and said, yeah, we're going to help America as an ally of ours. Um, so again, it's showing how the Trump administration and William Barr, who's also reaching out to the Italian government, uh, is enlisting the help of other foreign powers to uh, try and get to the bottom of what they think perhaps was an unfair investigation, the Mueller report that they think was biased and mis- misguided and unfounded from its very beginning.
0: Now, Trump has been very active on Twitter, even by his own standards in recent days, and hitting out at the whistleblower in the Ukraine case, calling him a fake whistleblower, democratic opponents, calling them savages, making references to treason. Does mm. this indicate that he's feeling the pressure, do you think?
1: I think it does. There are reports here that he is extremely worried about this, that you know, even if he was not convicted or removed from office, the prospect of an impeachment trial, which is now looking very, very likely, is something that he's going to have to live with uh, and is going to tarnish his legacy. So I think a lot of the bluster does mask a sense of fear on the part of Donald Trump. and um, But it's also, of course, replaying uh, his, his playbook, which is that sense of grievance, uh, that sense I'm being unfairly treated and everything is a kind of partisan witch hunt against me. I've done nothing wrong. So remarkably, even even some kind of seasoned watchers here were were astounded that the White House even released details of the phone call. That you know how how could they not see that this was incriminating? Incriminating. But Donald Trump is defiant. He is is ready to argue that that you know that anything he does is beyond is above board, um, and that he has every right as president of the United States to ask about information from Joe Biden. Um, I think he's feeling vindicated because he's getting a lot of support from right wing media. Fox News, for example, most uh, of the hosts on Fox News are very, very powerful in terms of the Republican base and how they think um, are really saying here that the real story is about Joe Biden, uh, that this is just about a witch hunt and a second Mueller report, witch hunt part two against the president. And they're making this argument to circle back to the beginning that, you know, impeachment really is a way of removing a president that Democrats don't like, that that's what they're saying, that this is an attempt to to nullify the results of the 2016 election, that um, Democrats and the mainstream media were never happy with Donald Trump's um, victory in that election. And this is the only way they feel they can't beat him at the polls, so this is the only way they can get at him. Whereas, in fact, of course, as we, we, we've spoken about, Democrats feel, um, you know, in my opinion, rightly so, that there are huge grounds for concern here about the president's um, actions in terms of national security, in terms of his oath of office, etc. But that's where um, the battle lines are being drawn, us versus them, and it's it's typical Donald Trump. The other issue that is, though, a a problem, and could again become a problem for Donald Trump as this process continues, is his attacks against the whistleblower. There is whistleblower uh, legislation in place um, for exactly this reason, that people can speak out if they feel that something um, untoward is happening within the executive branch and uh, reports. He he was recorded last week at a private gathering on the sidelines of the UN talking about the whistleblower being spies, being treasonous and and suggesting, you know, there were other ways of dealing with them in the past. There were suggestions there he's referring to even kind of execution. Um, And this has gone down very badly, even with some Republicans, that that he's essentially perhaps inciting some kind of violence potentially against this whistleblower. Certainly the lawyer for the whistleblower has come out and said that he believes that um, his client could be in danger uh, because of these attacks on his character.
0: So, Suzanne, as so far as anything can be predicted about, about this story, what further developments are we expecting this week in terms of, you know, committee hearings or actions or so and so on?
1: Well, this week, uh, Congress is uh, supposed to be out of session for this week and next week. But the House Intelligence Committee and various committees are at work and they have subpoenaed various people. So we're going to hear from the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, who was essentially dismissed by the Trump administration. We're going to hear by another U.S. special envoy to Ukraine um, who seems to have been involved in this. And he resigned on Friday. So there are a few people who are going to be appearing uh, before Congress this week, and that is going to keep the pressure on Donald Trump. We don't know what these people are going to say, but the fact that they are appearing suggests that they do have something to say. In the meantime, and um, they've also subpoenaed documents from Rudy Giuliani and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Yes, another issue I didn't mention here is that in the last 24 hours it's emerged and Mike Pompeo was listening into that disputed call between the Ukrainian President and Donald Trump. He's been subpoenaed. So um I think we are going to see Democrats continue the pressure on Trump and uh, the people within his administration in the next few weeks, and we're going to see them continue moving forward with this impeachment inquiry.
0: Well, Suzanne, it's a very fast-moving story with new twists every day, and we look forward to your continuing reports and analysis on irishtimes.com. You're listening to the Irish Times. Thanks again to Suzanne Lynch in Washington. To get a different perspective on this story now, I'm joined from Budapest by our correspondent in Eastern Europe, Daniel McLaughlin. Uh, Dan, you've been covering the Ukraine story extensively for us now for some time and you spend a lot of time in that country. How has this impeachment story and the central role in it of Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky, gone down in Ukraine?
2: Well, people are looking at it with some bemusement, really. Um, It's the first major crisis of Zelensky's uh, presidency and he was only elected back in the spring. Um, And... Generally, I mean in comparison with the the worldwide attention that this story is getting in Ukraine itself It hasn't caused enormous waves um, When people saw the transcript obviously it wasn't uh, a good look for Zelensky at all um, He was seen to be quite sycophantic towards Trump He was kind of uh, weak on several issues which people would have liked him to push on perhaps um, Ultimately, I think people thought that he didn't say anything terribly embarrassing, even though he was seen to be bowing and scraping somewhat to Trump. Um, And he didn't say anything terrible on key issues. He didn't put Ukraine in an uncomfortable position vis-a-vis Russia, for example. And also it's quite clear to Ukrainians um, the way the power dynamic, the power balance or imbalances between Ukraine and the States. Obviously, um, Ukraine is in in desperate need of of American support, continued American support, politically, financially, militarily, in the conflict with Russia. Um, And so... As far as we can tell, it hasn't done terrible damage to to Zelensky's ratings. Just before this scandal broke, uh, or this whole furore around the the transcript and the conversation with Trump broke, he was looking at something like 71% approval ratings, higher than any Ukrainian president has ever had. We haven't seen any polls subsequently to see if it's been damaged, but the general feeling is that Ukraine's been dragged into something that it doesn't want to be part of, Um, the the sooner it can extricate itself or or try and and hope that the whole thing down down the better, um, and that you, uh, Zelensky himself is unfortunate as a very inexperienced politician and a new president to be dragged into this uh, this really bitter American political struggle. I mean,
0: I guess it's only to be expected that a new president of Ukraine would want to get off on the right foot with the the president of the United States and establish good terms with him. But, but some of the things he said to him, though, to Trump, were a little cringeworthy, weren't they? Like, for example. You know, he mentioned actually last time I travelled to, to the United States, I stayed in New York near Central Park and I stayed at the Trump Tower. And then there's, you know, he said, well, you're draining the swamp. I'm also draining the swamp. Did, did that not cause some sort of any embarrassment?
2: Um, well, it's, it didn't look very good, certainly. It was embarrassing. Um, but it also it, it felt like... Uh, he had been put into this conversation with, uh, the team around him is also very experienced, let's not forget, inexperienced, let's not forget. Um, so they'd given him, it seems, you know, key talking points, um, points that he had to get into the conversation with Trump to make sure it went well. Um, and one can imagine that point one was don't disagree with anything Trump says, mention Trump Tower. Um, there's also at one point he says he invites uh, Trump to Kiev and says, you know, if you like, you can fly on my plane and then quickly corrects himself and says, but I'm sure your plane is far, is, 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 is far more <laughs> spectacular, and I'm sure you'd want to come on your own wonderful plane than anything rather than anything Ukraine could offer. So, yeah, I mean, it does look very bad, but at the same time, when you look at the reaction in Ukraine, for example, from uh, the man that Zelensky beat in presidential elections in the spring, uh, Petro Poroshenko, who was president from 2014 until earlier this year, um, he hasn't really been critical of Zelensky because when we remember how he dealt with trump um he was also um quite sycophantic towards him um he would he agreed with everything that trump said he wouldn't push back on any contentious talking points of trumps um and basically i think uh, from poroshenko's and now zelensky's dealings with trump it seems that they've convince themselves in Kiev, perhaps rightly, that he responds to flattery. Um, He's a very vain and thin-skinned person who you don't want to get into a conflict with on the telephone or face-to-face because... Um, the very best that will come out of it is probably a rerun on Twitter for the next few days. Um, and it could be very damaging potentially to Ukraine's relations with its key partner. So it it has, it has doesn't look good at all. But I think um, most Ukrainians, inclu- including Ukrainian politicians, are aware that it would have been much worse to get into a conflict with Trump and to upset Trump rather than to... Um, Bow and scrape and doff his cap during the conversation, and, and and get off the phone as quickly as possible without having caused offence.
0: Um, now he probably did cause some offence in, in in Paris and Berlin because one of the things I found most remarkable about the the transcript or the rough transcript that was released was his his readiness to disangle Merkel and Emmanuel Macron to please Trump. And just to recap, Trump said. Uh, Germany does almost nothing for you all they do is talk and I think it's something that you should really ask them about when I was speaking to Angela Merkel she talks Ukraine but she doesn't do anything and Zelensky replied yes you are absolutely right not only 100% but actually (laughs) 1000%
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's 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 terrible, really. I mean, it's I mean, you were going
0: to say, Don, I suppose you were going to say that that he said Merkel and Mer- Zelensky now said that Merkel and Macron were not working as hard as they should be for Ukraine. I mean, it would probably come as a surprise to Merkel and Macron that the president of Ukraine thinks that they should be working for for his country.
2: Yeah, well, I know it, it's 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 very bad because. Well, the European Union has, I mean, as as we've seen in in the last few days, various people have been making clear from the EU that it has the the European Union uh, as a bloc and individual countries have provided a huge amount of aid, as well as political um, and diplomatic and military support for Ukraine in recent years. Um, And I think that is a sign of his inexperience. Maybe Poroshenko could have finessed it a bit. Um, and just moved on to the next point, but i don 't think you would have even seen poroshenko challenge Trump on that. Um, we should remember always this is a conversation that Zelensky certainly never imagined would become public um, and in poroshenko, you know poroshenko has a much more experienced character who 'd been in politics for about twenty years um would also just uh, nod and mutter along with Trump when he said things that were um, pretty contentious. Um, so it doesn't look good. At the same time, looking from the Ukrainian angle, um, there is a, a, a certain feeling in Ukraine that that Germany and France are very keen for Ukraine to make a deal with Russia, even if it's not entirely... It's not on terms that are entirely good for Ukraine. So... Um, that didn't go, I mean it didn't go down well, but also there wasn't a huge amount of pushback against that in Ukraine, because there is a concern that, particularly from powerful business circles in, in Paris and Berlin, there is pressure on Kiev to come to terms with, with Russia. Um, and that America is definitely a stronger partner and has taken a tougher stand on Russia than uh, European partners of U- um, the, the big European partners of Ukraine, namely Germany and France. Um, despite Trump's repeated uh, uh, support for calls for, for a rapprochement with, with Putin and Russia, um, America has held a tough line uh, against Russia uh, in relation with Ukraine. And if we look at the, the fallout from this conversation. Possibly the thing that's been most damaging um, from Kiev's point of view is the loss of Kurt Volker. He's been the, um, the special envoy from the States to, to Ukraine over the past few years. And he's been a very, very strong advocate for Ukraine um, and has worked very closely with uh, Zelensky's young administration and with Poroshenko to try and um, smooth over any, any rough patches in the, the relationship between Kiev and Washington, and to make sure that help in all its various forms continues to flow from the United States to Ukraine. He's resigned in recent days after Giuliani dragged him into this whole row, um, and that is seen as one particularly, uh, or potentially damaging loss for Ukraine in this whole, um, this whole uh, episode.
0: And to be fair, Dan, to, to be fair to Zelensky, and you've alluded to this this already, I mean, he was in a, a very diff- difficult sort of challenging diplomatic position, wasn't he, in dealing with Trump? Because here you had a president who had a reputation maybe for being close to Vladimir Putin and with everything in the background, but Ukraine's need for US support and all of the fronts you mentioned already. Um, it was quite a challenge for him, wasn't it, to sort of to, to establish this relationship on the right footing?
2: Yeah, a huge challenge, and I think if we saw transcripts or, or memos from other leaders' conversations, we we would uh, with with uh, Trump, we would see that the tone might not be that different. Um, and certainly, I think because this was very early in Zelensky's presidency, um, he was hoping for a, 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 to arrange a meeting with Trump to get an, an invitation to the White House. He was um, hoping to. Uh, Make sure that the, the the latest tranche of military aid, two hundred and fifty million dollars in military aid, came through, and there was a question mark over that at the time. There was an ex, there was an additional one hundred and forty million from the State Department that Zelensky was expecting. So I really think that um, in his circle there, they just wanted to get through the conversation without causing offence, um, without doing any damage to the relationship, and they figured that with Trump that meant. Um, uh, appealing to his vanity, as he did with the, the the reference to Trump Tower and telling him that he's a 1,000% right when it comes to uh, what Germany and France are or are not doing for Ukraine. Um, and unfortunately, this whole thing has become public and it's made him look very bad. But, uh, but there hasn't been a huge amount of criticism uh, towards him in Ukraine over this. There has been some sympathy and there's a feeling that... Um, at all costs, really, even if it means um, personal humiliation, which it is to some extent for Zelensky now. um, Ukrainian leaders have to try and keep the American leader, whoever it might be, on side. And when it comes to Trump, you have to tread very, very carefully and massage his ego. And uh, we saw that happening in the memo uh, that's been released in the last uh, couple of weeks or so.
0: It sounds like Ukraine has got quite a mature electorate, you know, and that they
2: have
0: an ability to see the bigger picture here.
2: Um, well, I think this is the, the, the biggest picture for them, really. Well, I mean, there are a couple of ways to look at it, I think. Um, on the one hand, obviously, the conflict in, uh, with Russia is uh, is a national tragedy and a national disaster, and has been for the last five years. Um, and they need America's help, above all of, all, of all Ukraine's allies, they need America to stick with them to try and get through it, and ultimately to find some kind of peace deal which is not a complete capitulation to Putin. On the other hand, um, for most Ukrainians, you know, daily life can be quite tough, um, and they don't. One of the things that they look to the president to do and and his government to do is to make daily life easier for them. So they will be much more concerned about um, the way gas prices are going and electricity prices are going. They will be more concerned about how the economy is doing, whether Ukraine can attract foreign investors, whether it can boost employment. They've seen the, um, the currency, the hryvnia, gaining some value since uh, Zelensky became president, and they're keen to see that the, the currency recover after five years of, of difficulties. So these are the kind of daily things the, the, the daily problems that Ukrainians are dealing with and which they hope Zelensky and his new government will um, will work on and will, will will bring about some swift positive changes uh, around. and the relationship with Russia. Um, and the war in the East, they see it as uh, they, they just, just don't see any value in in uh, risking any confrontation or risking upsetting uh, the US president, the crucial ally in this, um, when when they'll need him going forward to try and bring a resolution to the conflict. So
0: his standing hasn't been damaged domestically at all, really, it than from this interaction with Donald Trump.
2: Uh, well, as I say, we haven't seen any poll numbers yet, but he was. On something like seventy-one percent, I think it was just before um, this whole thing erupted, um, and I don't think we will see a, a major uh, a major drop in that when we see the next set of numbers, because it's striking that even Zelensky's political rivals, as I mentioned, Poroshenko in particular, have not really been critical of him uh, over the 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 memo or the 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 rough transcript that came out from the conversation. They are. Issuing warnings, you know, that, Ukraine, that uh, Zelensky has to tread extremely carefully, being an inexperienced leader with an inexperienced team around him. Um, but they haven't been very critical, of, particularly on the memo and on the things he uh, he spoke to Trump about. Poroshenko perhaps knowing that if transcripts came out or memos came out from his conversations with Trump, they wouldn't look very good for him either. Um, so he, I would say that he hasn't suffered a major domestic blow because of this. Um And people are just worried that uh, Ukraine will be dragged deeper into this conflict, this internal domestic political conflict in the United States as the election approaches. Um, And they hope that Zelensky has learned to be much more cautious in his conversations with world leaders and also um, perhaps to be more appreciative of the help that he's getting from major European leaders and to uh, make sure that relations with them are patched up as quickly as possible if they've been damaged or bruised at all.
0: Okay, well, but I suppose with a 71% approval rating, he's got a little bit of a cushion there anyway. But Dan, we'll we'll, we'll leave it there for now. Thanks a lot for that. And that's all for this week. For more on these and other stories, go to irishtimes.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now.